0: this is an important thing to talk about because, you know, there are many ways that accessibility and safe spaces uh, present. And it really does vary based on your context, what you can even like hope for. And I think that it's extra important for places, people in places that are progressive to like double down on making sure that they're accessible and safe for people when there's so many places that we're not.
1: Welcome to Towards a Kinder Public, a podcast dedicated to designing kinder public space that better meets our interconnected needs. I'm Kevin Castle, and along with Annie Chen, we are Kinder Public. We are so fortunate to share this discussion with Han Malin, who has worked and volunteered in the nonprofit sector for over 15 years across a broad range of areas, including visual arts, arts education, education the LGBTQI plus community, human rights, and ending poverty. You'll also hear some references to the podcast that Han did with their spouse called Han and Matt Know It All, which reviewed and expanded on the feedback given in advice columns. Han is now based in the greater D.C. area. Han uses the pronouns they, them. I use the pronouns she, her. We will discuss the design of better public space from the perspective of queer spaces and intersectionality, meaning using empathy as a design principle and seeking to meet actual needs based on how we really live our lives, rather than allowing architecture to enforce rigid categorizations. Is there a relationship between restrictions on breastfeeding, accessibility for the disability community? accommodations for dads with small kids, and hospitality for the LGBTQI plus community in public space? Yes, there is, and that's one of the issues that we are going to explore together. Please listen in on this critical discussion that is packed with information and resources, affirmation, and warmth and laughs as well. The episode is rated clean for language, but we are providing a content advisory. For survivors, the LGBTQI community, and parents, be advised that there is some reference to male violence, assault, and suicide. Please listen with some discretion. Well, it's good to see you. It's been a minute yeah it has it's really good to see you i see a cat too yes this is this is mad eye
0: uh she is 15 years old and in charge of my life and i'm not allowed to have any sort of call or meeting without her
1: absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) i have a cat who may show up soon too
0: (laughs) they know who's in charge and it's not us
1: that's right as well it should be
0: (laughs) like like look
1: They, they domesticated
0: themselves and us what did we really expect to happen that's, that's what I always find funny is that humans didn't domesticate cats. They just decided to live with us because it was easier. <laughs>
1: right. Right. Oh, amazing. Welcome, cat. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Hannah Maddie talking about public spaces. She says, I'm agoraphobic and therefore there should be no public spaces. Yeah. I haven't done a podcast since we took ours off the air in 2019. So.
1: Oh, I wasn't aware that you were off the air. Yeah,
0: at some point. It stops being fun, especially when all the advice columns are about, like, the world is on fire and right. half my family are bigots. What do I do? And we're like, uh, uh, <laughs> don't, don't talk to them anymore. Sorry about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, I'm like, can't you all have entertaining problems anymore? Why do they got to be real world problems? Right. Oh, goodness.
1: Well, I'm hoping we're going to give lots of advice <laughs>
0: to people. Yeah. That I'm, I'm good with it as long as people know that I'm not like actually qualified in any way other than my own lived experiences.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm weeping already. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to tell what emotional yeah. state Kevin is in today because. Um,
0: <laughs> look, that'll make me feel better because honestly, I've been on very high emotional alert these days because, you know. Yeah existing in the world's really not fun right now.
1: Yes. It's really hard. I have to acknowledge, like I was very angry, sad, like all the, all the things while I'm trying to write these questions. And I'm like, these are not the questions I would have wanted to write a year ago. Yeah. These are not the questions I would have wanted to write six months ago. Yeah. Thank you for bearing with me because I want to find the way into this conversation.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's hard. It's really hard. The conversations have really shifted. Like especially in recent months you know it's uh it's gone from like have single stall restrooms so that anybody of any gender can use them to please don't sexually assault me for going into a restroom and call it legal
1: yes exactly exactly
0: so it's uh yeah it's it's a lot i am i'm glad it's pride month because at least there's like positive things to like reinforce positive queer communities but uh my spouse when we moved to dc we moved because he got a job at amtrak and we get free train tickets which is great i go back to new york all the time but it's our uh 10 year wedding anniversary this year and we had planned to do a cross country train trip because we thought that'd be fun. I can't go through the middle of the country safely anymore. There is no path through middle America. There just there's just not a way through. Yeah, Like there's yeah. if you've seen that map that's like the dark red and red and orange and whatever of like where there's anti-trans laws. Yeah. The entire middle swath of the country. So, yeah. Good times. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad I'm glad you're doing this. I feel like this is an important thing to talk about because, you know, there are many ways that accessibility and safe spaces uh present and it really does vary based on your context, what you can even like hope for. And I think that it's extra important for places people in places that are progressive to like double down on making sure that they're accessible and safe for people when There's so many places that we're not.
1: Right. So that's right. You have to stop the spread of the antagonistic viewpoint. It's interesting. 10, you say 10 years ago and congratulations on your anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Just about 10 years ago, I was in the middle of the country um, having just had a baby there and I was hiding in my car in parking lots, trying to breastfeed this infant as we were trying to drive back. Across the country, and I remember being in states where there were like very current instances of women being arrested, yeah, in parking lots in their cars at the back of the mall parking lot where no one else is, yeah, you know, with like blankets in the windows because it was, yeah, um, exposing uh, themselves indecently. Yeah. I'm like, this is feeding an infant, yeah, so. like I it was very it was very upsetting
0: yeah I had a conversation with a friend who like you know was like oh this isn't Anyway, the same. And I was like, no, it is. But who was talking about um, being pregnant and needing to make a cross country trip and having to trace a route through states where if something went wrong, she wouldn't die because they wouldn't do life saving procedures because of anti abortion laws. And she was like, you know, I can't go through certain parts of the con- country because if an emergency happens while I'm there, they'll just let me die.
1: Right. And I was like, yep,
0: that's, uh, that's
1: where we're at. That's where we're at. It really
0: sucks. It really sucks. It's terrifying.
1: I appreciate you sharing that because it, I don't want to equivocate everyone's loss, <laughs> yeah, because everyone is experiencing uh, like a very particular kind of loss at this moment. But at the same time, yeah, like if there's anything that Annie and I want to convey, it's that our safety is all interconnected. Like you either yeah. have a principle of upholding safety and dignity for people, or you don't. And yeah, I think what we're seeing is the erosion of that and how it will continue to diminish people's safety and dignity and it it will not have discretion.
0: Yeah. It's the whole thing that, you know, ages and ages ago, the like first they came for. Yes. Thing where it's like, yeah, it's like it's it's just demographic by demographic. And I'm like, you know, y'all, you're you're keeping an eye on trans people and being like, oh well that's and I'm like, it's trans people and women now. It's just gonna be bit by bit, like your early stages of the handmaid's tale, my dudes (laughs) like That's right. And I don't know, I mean, especially coming from like a, a Jewish background, I'm like, we've seen this happen before. That's right. I'm trying to get like the really emotional parts out beforehand, but um, outlawing gender affirmative care for children is murder because trans kids who can't get care kill themselves. And they are doing this intentionally. They don't not know that statistic. They want us all to die. And it's eugenics and it's gone in cycles forever. And right now it's just so it's so blatant and nobody seems to be able to stop it <laughs> like there are the uh, sanctuary states and have really strong protections but for every state that's like that there are states that are trying to extradite people to punish them for doing things at that- they don't like in other states.
1: It's crazy times. right? Yeah.
0: I feel very lucky that I'm able to live in a state that has strong protections and that most of the people that I care about and want to spend significant time around are also in states like that. So I can feel safe going to visit them. But like one of my grandmas is in Florida and I'm like, sorry, it is what it is. I'm not safe flying into an airport in Florida. I am not willing to go through airport security someplace that would have no problem sexually assaulting me and calling it legal. Mm -hmm. So yeah, (laughs) that's... Good times.
1: Yeah, I feel like we've already had such a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I, I, ne- I need to, um, I need to introduce you. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. Thank you for joining us this morning. You have so many areas of interest and expertise. Can you talk a little bit about your professional background and other roles where you put your energy?
0: Yeah. Um, so I sort of ended up in a professional do-gooder role, not really intentionally. Um, I. Came out of undergrad with business and economics and art degrees not really knowing what i wanted to do and i ended up with a job at a synagogue and it was a very progressive synagogue they shared a building with a very progressive uh i don't remember what sector of christianity but with a very progressive christian church it was very Gilmore Girls, where it was like you close the doors on the on the the thing where they keep the Torah, and then it was a cross, and so they could switch it for services. And so that was sort of my first dipping my toe professionally into the nonprofit world, and they they did a lot of social justice stuff. It was a really positive environment, but I had fallen in love with New York uh, years before that, and so I decided to go to grad school in New York, and I went into nonprofit arts administration because the arts had really been, uh, when I was growing up, as you know, kind of a weird kid in the suburbs uh, where I found my people all the weird kids gravitate to the arts. Um, And I wanted other people to have access to that, because I came from, you know, middle to upper middle class white suburbia. And I was very aware of the fact that people in other areas did not have access to the things that I do, their schools didn't have budgets for the things that mine did. Um, They didn't have, you know, free tickets to museums and stuff like I did through parents work, like it just wasn't the same thing. And so I went into that. And I ended up Uh, interning at a few different museums and nonprofits. And the one that stuck the longest was a tiny community design and arts nonprofit called Hester Street Collaborative uh, in New York in Chinatown, which has, when I was there was like three employees and an intern and I didn't even have a desk. I had a laptop on my lap and I looked at them recently and they've got like 20 full-time staff and their budget is like 20 times what it was when I was there. And I'm like so proud of them because they do really cool work, but it was this mix of they worked with the schools and they did like community design projects with uh, the kids that went there. And then they also did like community surveys and like talk to people, what do you want your green space used for and whatever. And that was all really neat. Um, from there, I went into Q Art Foundation, which is where you met me, which was a small nonprofit art gallery that also did arts education, et cetera. But while I was there was when the first round of the Black Lives Matter protests happened, um, which was, I believe, 2014. And I sort of realized my level of privilege coming from a uh, white presenting background. I, I'll throw behind that. I'm Jewish. It throws falls into this weird category of, like, whether people count it as white or not depends on whether they hate you or not. Um, so, but I, but I look white, uh-huh. and so I have white privilege. So there's that. But I recognize that, you know, like, I was coming from a perspective of I wanted to, like, bring the arts and stuff to schools, and there were kids getting shot on their way mm-hmm. to school because of what they looked like. So I decided I wanted to look for... Uh, jobs that could address that sort of thing more directly. And so I ended up going into human rights. And I went and worked at Amnesty International for six years, um, who for anyone who doesn't know them, look them up, amazing organization, uh, covers full spectrum human rights uh, defense. And from there, I recently came to Oxfam International, which is another uh, international nonprofit um, doing humanitarian and anti-poverty work. So that's been my my arc in terms of uh, profession. And then outside of that, I have on and off been on the board of a small uh, LGBTQ community nonprofit in my area called the MoCo Pride Center, who do much more like local organizing and advocacy and events uh, for the queer community in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is the DC metro area. Um, so I've sort of been at all sizes and all like a bunch of different areas of <laughs> I always do I'm like SJW work it's like, mm-hmm. people people started using that term yeah. as a derogatory and I was like nah, no, I'll double down on it I'm a social justice warrior for sure like mm-hmm. what I care about is making people's lives better and safer and making sure that they have access to things that I did or didn't regardless and yeah so that's that's where I'm at um yeah and I did a podcast for a couple of years called "Han and Matt know it all with my spouse. That was a, <laughs> uh, meta advice column podcast where we read advice columns, picked questions we thought were interesting and that could be dug into more on the subject matter and talked about them. So we brought a lot of sort of progressive queer, um, intersectional lens to things that we thought maybe there were aspects that were missing, um, from, and just discussed discuss stuff. So that, uh, was on the air for about two years. Um, and yeah, this is sort of what I like to do is help people and, tell them how to live their lives, which is nosy and also fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that you're nosy. <laughs> yes.
0: I can't help it. People are so interesting. I just like,
1: <laughs> And they need your help. Exactly. I'm like, oh, I know how to fix that one. Hold on. <laughs> so in this first part of our conversation, we are planning to speak about women and gender minorities and queer people. And for the purposes of our discussion, am I we're using the right terms? And how should we define these groups of people? Are there frameworks or concepts we should use? And do these groups share any overlapping needs?
0: Yeah, so this is such a complicated question because how people define things tends to be really personal. Um, In my mind, I consider women to be anybody who identifies as a woman, whether they are cisgendered and were assigned female at birth, or whether they are trans women, or whether they are non-binary, but also identify as women, which some people sort of take on multiple labels, it's all very personal decisions. Um, Mm -hmm. I consider, like for me, when I think of gender minorities, I think of people that either don't fall on the binary or are not cisgender. Um, I think that both of those can count. I think some people that are trans binary probably don't consider themselves um, gender minorities. But again, it's it's a personal thing. You know, I'm non-binary and I consider myself transgender. But some non-binary people don't. And queer, I think, kind of is the same thing. Where I use it as an all-encompassing term for myself and for my community. I also like to call us the alphabet mafia because there's so many letters now. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you know LGBTQIA plus encompasses a whole range of you know gender orientation, sexuality um, or lack thereof, but not everybody who could be assigned one of those letters necessarily identifies as part of that community or likes that term. Um, so it's very nuanced and I don't know that there is a correct approach. I think that for every person who tries to set out definitions or somebody else that will tell them, no, you're wrong, or one of the ways you're using this? this is problematic and this is why. Mm-hmm. Um, So I try to be open to the perspectives of people and trust their lived experiences and what they're comfortable with and respect that, but also be true to my, you know, sense of myself. And I basically approach it with just sort of a, a do no harm or do as little harm as possible approach.
1: That's right. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out our website, kinderpublic.com, for more information about our guest and the topic, as well as a full transcript of the conversation, which can be found on the podcast page. A captioned episode is also available on our YouTube channel, where we are at Kinder Public. If you have enjoyed an episode of Towards a Kinder Public, we would love your help in sharing the episode with others. Please also consider leaving us a rating and a review. It helps us make our topics more visible, and we really appreciate your support. I'm Kevin Castle. My guest has been Han Malin. Our conversation will continue in the next episode. Please take extra care. We'll see you next week.